this is a little different to what we've been doing, but what an opportunity to explore a different way of doing and being church. My name is Clinton. For those of you who don't know me, I have the privilege of leading this amazing church with an amazing team of people dreaming about the transformation of people and society. I want to state the obvious. We've never been in a global pandemic before. This is our first go, so I want to ask for grace. It's also my first online sermon, sermon so, so I want to ask for even more grace. But COVID-19 has changed a lot of things for all of us since January 2020. This is becoming a new reality for all of us, whether we are prepared for it or not. So we're starting a new series called Fear Not. And today I want to speak on affliction that produces hope. It makes me think of Jerry Seinfeld speaking about fear. He said, according to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. <laughs> death being number two doesn't sound right because this means to the average person, if you go to a funeral, you're better off in the casket than doing the eulogy. We know that fear triggers a reality check. And it could be that your view of, of life and reality is challenged over the next few weeks. I love the story of Jesus calming the storm. It shows us the difference in response when we don't allow the reality of heaven to impact our reality on earth. Matthew tells the story in Matthew 8, 23 to 27, as Jesus got into this boat, his disciples followed him and suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea. So that boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus kept sleeping. And I wonder how many people is feeling at this moment, just God, where are you? <laughs> what are you doing? So the disciples came and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. Jesus' response was brilliant. He said, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Just imagine that comment. I mean, it's rough seas, it's storms, it's violent eruptions. And Jesus asks them, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the seas, and there was a great calm. The men was amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. The Greek word used for storm is the word seismos, which means a violent eruption. It's an interesting word only used three times in Matthew 27, where the curtain of the temple tore in half from top to bottom, the crucifixion of Christ. Matthew 28, where the angel rolls the stone that covered the tomb that Jesus was buried in, speaking about the resurrection of Christ. And in Matthew 8, where Jesus calms the storm, where he addresses fear. It's safe to say that we are experiencing something of a seismic shift because of COVID-19. We have pandemic fears. We've got fears triggered by what's available in our super, supermarket Economic slide and looming recession is triggering our thoughts of, of anxiety. Churches having to think the way they gather and connect. I mean, even international travel is cancelled. I would have flown out to South Africa in a couple of weeks and it's done. 
But I want you to hear Jesus' response to seismic shift moments. Fear not. Trust and believe in me. We need to consider our faith or fear response in the season that we're in. Fear is an important topic. It activates red zone thinking. When life either suddenly or unexpectedly pulls us out of our comfort zone, it triggers a reactive mindset dominated by fear. And this could easily result in living from a negativity bias where our natural response to life is filtered through, through pessimism and skepticism. Where we're constantly scanning the world for bad news and, and fixating ourselves on the negatives that feels so overwhelming. This leads us to overacting in weird ways we never thought we would, like, like panic shopping. <laughs> and all of these facts track, all of these fast tracks the experience of bad news into our, our emotional and our social memory. When the brain becomes sensitized to repeated doses of stress hormones, it results in us becoming more reactive, creating a vicious downward cycle. Science shows us that exposure to circumstances that produces persistent fear and chronic anxiety can have a lifelong consequence by, by actually disrupting the developing architecture of the brain. If you're trapped in the cycle of fear, worry and stress, it could stunt your development as a person and as a child of God. It's the same effect that trauma has on children. It stunts physical or emotional and in our case, spiritual development. We know we're trapped in a toxic web of fear if we start living by these two words. What if? What if I lose my job? What if I fall sick? What if they close the schools? What if the hospitals can't cope? What if? What if? What if? And the primary consequence of living by what if is a loss of perspective. We miss opportunities. It paralyzes our living where we suddenly fall stuck and hopelessness sets in. And I believe Jesus helps us to consider a whole new way of dealing with reality when he taught his disciples to pray. Just think about this for a moment. The words in Matthew 6 verse 10, when Jesus said, when you pray, you pray these words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is actually teaching us to consider life from a very different reality. See, we are deeply challenged at the moment with the realities we're facing. Um, stuff happening on our planet. Realities that are real and they are changing the way we're doing life. I mean, right now I'm sitting in front of a group of people watching myself on a screen. <laughs> Things are different. Darwin said, it's not the strongest of species that survive, nor the most intelligent, but the one most responsive to change. I woke up Saturday morning with these words, Clinton, don't waste this crisis. I immediately sensed that this was going to be a defining moment for us as church. And as I was reflecting on this, I was drawn to a very special portion of scripture in the book of Romans that I want to read with you. 
Romans 5, verse 1 to 5. Paul starts in verse 1. He says, therefore. Now, therefore is an interesting word. It's an extension word that connects the dots. What Paul is going to do in the next few verses is he's going to connect the dots of what he said previously to what follows. In essence, he's going to bring things together. And this is going to create a whole new platform. So he says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who has been given to us. It's important for us to understand the dots that Paul wants to connect. Paul says that we have been declared righteous by faith. Let's just pause for a moment. Think about these words. Since we have been. Think about what you're hearing. It's done. This is a reality that we need to be aware of. Remember, Paul is trying to connect dots. So we need to understand that the first dot is all about how we have been. How we have been saved because of all that Jesus has done for us. This is the point of departure. See, this salvation, this righteousness declares us innocent. There is no guilt or shame that could stain or blemish your identity into an inferior state of being in any way. It's finished. It's done. It's a reality. It's what, it's true, what is true in heaven. And this is impacting our life at this moment. Paul says we have been declared righteous by faith. Now, the Greek word by or ek is one of the most undertranslated and therefore mistranslated Greek words, often being confined to the meaning by. But ek is layered with meaning, describing the out from and to realities. It connects the dots, which makes it outcome orientated. Speaking about the fact that out of the depths of what Christ just achieved for us, this now extends to us and it impacts our life in a very special way. Because of the first dot, the fact that we have been declared righteous by faith, we need to consider what we now have. Paul says we have peace with God. Peace, the word Irene, is um, defined as a wholeness. Um, it's a wholeness that, that, that becomes ours because of the fact that all the essential parts of our lives are suddenly joined together. There's an inner completeness. See, see the journey of, of coming to mental well-being could be the discovery of what Christ has done for you. Peace is so much more than getting rid of something that frustrates you. The peace the world offers is normally a subtraction or a removal of something or someone. <laughs> Maybe at times your kids. 
But the peace that Christ offers is an increase of favor and connection with God, ourselves, and others. Because of Jesus Christ, because of what He did for you, your life changed. Not just your eternal destination. The essence of who you are changed. He brought things together. And because of that, because of what He did for us, we have access into grace. This is a relationship of favor where God leans towards us and invites us into a life-giving relationship. relationship. He makes His abundant, abundant life available to us. And Paul continues, he says, we've got peace with God. We have access into this grace. And now we rejoice in the hope of God being glorified, God being manifested, God being made seen in the world that we live in. I mean, these are almost enough. We have peace, we have grace, and we glory in God. But then Paul strikes out completely. What follows is almost surprising in that the process of transformation he uses is, is, is actually some very ordinary and sometimes, sometimes experiences that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. Paul starts by saying we rejoice in our affliction. <laughs> Just think about this for a moment. When was the last time that you actually rejoiced in affliction? Actually, meaning that we rejoice in this season that we are in, that the whole world is in. Could it be that we could rejoice in economic downturn um, and the realities that we're facing on financial levels? Could we rejoice in, in self-isolation from those that just returned from holiday? Or for those who have been in contact with people that, that, that had corona um, or has been exposed to corona lately? Could we rejoice in universities going online and schools possibly closing? Could we rejoice in us not gathering as usual when it comes to church? There's a whole list of things that we suddenly need to consider. And Paul doesn't say endear, he says rejoice. This word rejoice is interesting. It means to hold your head up high because we know that there's something to gain from the experience. We rejoice in affliction because we know that we will gain something valuable from the affliction that we're in. See, this word affliction is all about the internal pressure that, that causes someone to feel confined to feel restricted, to feel that we've lost all options. And the beauty of this is, I believe that if there are no options, maybe people will start looking for the real option. Scott's, Scott Peck, um, a psychiatrist, said that the avoidance of pain is the root of all discomfort. And at times of pain, we experience um, this discomfort because in our core, we want to avoid pain. We don't like affliction. Paul says rejoice in it. Hold your head up in times of, of affliction. He says more than just holding your head up. See the fact that in this moment of affliction, there's going to be something that you'll gain through this experience. Because affliction produces something in us. This affliction will work towards God's end goal, taking it step by step. You see, affliction produces endurance, a steadiness to remain true to who you are because of Christ, not wavering because of internal or external challenges. Endurance is the ability to keep the dots connected between what Jesus did 
and what we're experiencing at this moment. See, suddenly we get to respond to life in all of its beauty and complexity based on what Jesus achieved for us. Endurance produces proven character, this inner state of being that has not collapsed because of the affliction that you're experiencing. We've all had moments in life where we felt like we were disintegrating because of challenges that we faced. And some of us have collapsed and we're still trying to pick the pieces up because of that moment of collapsing. But I'm trusting that you will discover power in this season. The power that Christ made available for you to endure whatever comes your way. Because here's the blessing. Affliction produces. Endurance produces. Character produces. Character brings us to a point where it produces hope. An attitude of expectation that cannot be diluted by the afflictions that we are in. When thinking about this, it struck me that hope does not disappoint. And hope that only affects me is something um, that is very self-centered. So when we, th when we think about hope, we need to realize that Paul says that hope won't disappoint. Because the nature of hope is that it has to be shared. Hope does not disappoint because we understand the importance of dealing in the currency of hope. Hope has to affect not just me, but others. See, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts. This hope affects our minds, our character, our inner self that governs our will. It affects our, our intentions. It affects the center of our being. And we know this is true for ourselves because... Because um, in this moment of hope, it affects the way that I relate to God. It affects the way that I experience His presence in my life and how I share it with others. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through His Spirit. See, hopelessness translates into selfishness. Just take a look at your local supermarket. Panic buying is driven by self-preservation. But hope translates into love, an inner drive to share even at the cost of our own preservation. So I want to conclude. What do you do if you lose hope? The easiest thing in the world is to blame the external situation or to blame people around you because of what we're seeing and what we're finding ourselves in. But that's not what I see in Romans 5. If we lose hope, we need to consider reflecting backwards from what Paul was saying. Could the loss of hope be the result of character that has been diluted because of a lack of endurance? Could the lack of endurance be the result of an unwillingness to allow afflictions to produce something in us? If we break the tension between affliction and what it is producing, meaning that it disconnects the dots. We choose a life of microwaving where we want easy wins. We want comfort. But God is not into microwaving. He's into marinating us. And sometimes He uses the experiences of challenge and affliction and endurance to produce a quality of character in our lives. The COVID-19 affliction is not something you can avoid. It will affect you in some way or another. So what if you allowed God right of way in your life?
What have you allowed Him to shape you and form you in this season? To produce something in you? What if you allow God to produce a level of endurance, to stay in the moment, to develop character, to produce hope, to walk past the door of fear and through the door of faith, to see the season as an opportunity to gain new perspective, to discover hope, to release love, to make God manifest because His Spirit lives in us. I love what Romans 8.11 says. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So I know for all of us that this is a different, strange season. Some of us may be feeling empty, hopeless, we may be experiencing levels of stress and anxiety because of everything going on at the moment. I want to pray for you. And maybe you could use this prayer to make this declaration over your life. So you could keep your eyes open or, or close your eyes. But I actually want to welcome you to, to join in me with this prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you, the God of hope, will fill us with all joy and peace as we choose in the season to believe in you. We pray that you would fill us to overflowing with hope by the power of your Spirit and that you would give us the ability to respond to the season in faith, in hope, and in love. In Jesus' name, Amen.